Talk Live. Open phones for you. If you want to join us here, as always, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Here tonight, it's Ian. And Bonnie. Stuff to talk about include, it's apparently Magic Mushroom Day. Bonnie, you're going to be telling us more about that here in a little bit. And that's good news. But first, something that's not so good about a whistleblower. You've heard of Edward Snowden. A lot of people have heard of Edward Snowden. It was uh, back in 2013 when Edward Snowden revealed all kinds of, you know, interesting information and very, for a lot of people, shocking information that the NSA was spying on Americans and some of the tools that they had in order to do that. The government, of course, government gang in Washington, D.C., rewarded Edward Snowden by tracking him down halfway across the world and basically preventing him from leaving where he had managed to escape to, which was Russia. At the Is time. he still in Russia? He's still in Russia. Yeah. Luckily, he was joined by his, I believe, fiance, maybe now wife. Uh, so what looked like might have been something that broke them up. They stayed together through all the, the difficulties, which is nice. Um, but he's stuck there. He can't get on an airplane and leave because he's worried, I think, that the federal government is going to force the airplane down and force him off of it and then throw him into a cage. Yeah. Because the U.S. federal government doesn't treat whistleblowers real nice. And here's the latest example of that. The story coming from whistleblowersblog.org. Daniel Hale received a prison sentence of 45 months this summer, followed by three years of supervised release, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. Earlier this year, he pleaded guilty to illegally obtaining classified national defense information and disclosing it to a reporter. He had served at the, in the Air Force from 20, uh, 2009 to 2013. He later deployed to Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan in 2012 and was honorably discharged the following year, according to the AP, after his service, he worked at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, or the NGA, as a defense contractor, and the Department of Justice alleges that he began communicating with a reporter beginning in April of 2013, while he served in the Air Force and assigned to the National Security Agency, so also working with the NSA. The DOJ states that while he was working with the NGA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, in February of 2014, he printed six classified documents unrelated to his work and soon after exchanged a series of messages with the reporter. Each of the six documents printed were later published by the reporter's news outlet. The DOJ also states that Hale printed 36 documents from his top-secret computer, including 23 documents unrelated to his work. Of those 23, he provided at least 17 to the reporter and or the online news outlet, which public, uh, published the documents in whole or in part. And uh, those were top-secret documents. When he pled guilty in March, he admitted to downloading... What were they about? Sorry. They uh, were Well, some of them were uh, apparently contained information about the protocol for order- ordering drone strikes mm. and shed light on civilian casualties and internal military debates over the accuracy of the intelligence. And, of course, it was just, what, last week, I think, that the Pentagon admitted to murdering people of course it's not murder when they do it but taking innocent life in their very final strike that they did i don't know if it was a drone strike or or what i didn't read all the details on the exact method of destruction but they killed you know i think it was seven children in afghanistan it was seven people and in, included children but yeah. i don't think it was just children 
Either way, children were killed and innocent people uh, were killed. And so this guy tried to shed some light on that whole process. But that's none of the American people's business, even though we pay for it. That's what the government uh, wants you to believe. And they're going to punish him now with 46 months or sorry, 45 months in federal prison as a result of this. So basically the next four years of his life. And federal prison only has an 85% good time rule. So if you're a good little boy in prison, you get out 85% after you're done serving 85% of the term. But then he's got three years basically on probation after that. Hmm. He did file a handwritten letter to the court that went into detail about his motivations for leaking the documents. This was before sentencing. He wrote about his role as a signals intelligence analyst at Bagram Air Base, where he was, quote, made to track down the geographic location of handset cell phone devices believed to be in the possession of so-called enemy combatants, unquote. In what country? This is Afghanistan. Oh, okay. Uh, He explains the chain of action that would occur once he acquired information about a targeted cell phone and tells the story of the first drone strike that he witnessed while stationed in Afghanistan. Quote, since that time and to this day, I continue to recall several such scenes of graphic violence carried out from the cold comfort of a computer chair. He said further, not a day goes by that I don't question the justifications for my actions, but how could it have been considered honorable of me to continuously have laid in wait for the next opportunity to kill unsuspecting persons who more often than not are posing no danger to me or any other person at the time? Oh, did he not realize that the judges he was writing to work to prop up that system and don't care about morality? Yeah, I mean... You know, when you're when you're facing sentencing on a guilty plea, it's really all you can do. I mean, you are essentially in in the federal system. From what I understand, when you take a guilty plea, you don't get any kind of deal that the prosecutor gives you. You are your the deal is they're going to drop some of the charges, and then you get stuck with whatever you're pleading to, and then it's all up to the judge. So the judge can. Go light on you, depending on what the sentencing guidelines are, or they can throw the book at you. You don't know what the judge is going to do before you take the plea. You're just sort of taking the plea, and you're essentially throwing yourself on their mercy. So anything that you can do to appeal to whatever shred of humanity that person may still have is all you got. Uh, He said he also discussed the gruesome details of other drone strikes that he was a part of and how they affected him and his attitude towards the U.S. drone program. He wrote in his letter... Quote, left to decide whether to act, I could only do or I could only do that which I ought to do before God and my own conscience. The answer came to me that to stop the cycle of violence, I ought to sacrifice my own life and not that of another person. He said further, I contacted an investigative reporter with whom I had established a prior relationship and told him I had something the American people needed to know. But how many people out there know this guy's name? Daniel Hale. Had you ever heard it before? No. Are there people out there listening in this audience that have followed the Hale case? If so, if you want to comment, you're welcome to join us. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. But he definitely did not get the level of attention that, say, an Edward Snowden did. Uh, of course, Julian Assange is also another person that the federal government would love to throw into a cage for his involvement in helping then Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning, uh, reveal their information. So this is not uncommon, of course, for the U.S. federal government to target uh, somebody and punish them for revealing the truth about their operations. 
AP News reported during his sentencing, Hale told the district judge, Leah McGrady, that he, quote, felt compelled to leak information to a journalist out of guilt over his own participation in a program that he believed was indiscriminately killing civilians in Afghanistan far from the battlefield. Wow. What? That's, I mean, he obviously knows. He did it. Yeah. I said he believes, but yeah. I was just saying, wow. It, it is wrong to kill, he told the judge. It is especially wrong to kill the defenseless. In regards to Hale's leaking of the documents, the judge told him he could have pursued other avenues instead of going to the press with classified documents, like resigning from his job or informing his commanders that he was, quote, not going to do this anymore, unquote, according to the AP. But that wouldn't change anything. They'd just fill in his spot with a new automaton. Yeah, exactly. And there's no sort of internal method that is going to reform the military. And also the, the United States citizens who are paying for this would have no idea still. Correct. And most of them have no idea because the, you know, the, the mainstream media um, did virtually little with this particular story, which is why when I saw the news that he'd been sentenced, I'd seen something about it prior to his sentencing. I'd saw the story like when he was taking the guilty plea earlier this year, but I had never heard anything about him prior to that. Prior to him taking a plea on this, never heard word one uh, about this particular story. But, you know, the idea that you're going to, like, go to some military brass and complain about killing innocent people and have that have some sort of an effect on the way the military operates, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, And we can tell you a little bit more about what happened with his sentencing here. Again, 45 months in prison. That's years from this man's life for revealing the truth about drone strikes against the innocent. You can share your thoughts. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. Open phones here if you want to join us. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Here in the studio, it's Ian. It's Bonnie. And, of course, you can bring up anything that you want. We're talking about uh, another whistleblower. He's going to prison. Maybe you've heard of him, but you probably haven't if you're paying attention to mainstream media whistleblowersblog.org has this story not exactly a mainstream media source although to their credit the washington post has reported on him uh the ap has reported on him daniel hale is going to prison for 45 months and uh that is you know years of his life then he'll have three more years after that uh on supervised release which is you know a highly controlled probationary situation he'll probably have a you know, ankle monitor or whatever other nonsense that they want to shove down his throat, all because he revealed his experience in killing innocent people with drone strikes over in Afghanistan. And he did it in the only way that could possibly make a difference. Which is to say he released the information to a journalist, and that's, of course, why he's being punished. The judge in the case, uh, Liam O'Grady, district court judge in the U.S., said that he could could have done something else instead of going to the press. He could have resigned from his job, as though that would do anything at all. As you pointed out, Bonnie, they would just replace him with some automaton who would mindlessly press a button and kill innocent people. Uh, We'll tell you more about his story here, and of course you can share your thoughts. Also, want to let you know about Bitcoin.com. They are a great source for learning about cryptocurrency. You can go and click on Get Started 
and learn about Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Right now, Bitcoin went down overnight. It's, uh, it's down to like 43, 44,000, I think, today per coin. It has been as high as 47,000 within the last 24 hours. Hmm. So maybe that's a good time to get some if you can afford to grab some uh, Bitcoin. Remember, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. And those are some of the basics that you, you need to learn if you don't know those things. Get on over to Bitcoin.com. Click Get Started at the top of the page. There's introductory videos there that you can watch as much as you like. The The first one, I think, is three minutes long, so not a huge investment uh, of time for you. Plus, if you're not uh, brand new to crypto, you want to get the latest news headlines, you can go to news.bitcoin.com and you can find those there every single day. That's news.bitcoin.com. The judge, according to whistleblowersblog.org, he uh, he imposed a punishment that was harsher than the 12 to 18 month term that the attorneys for Daniel Hale were requesting, uh, but apparently the 45 month sentence was still, quote, significantly more lenient than the longer sentence sought by prosecutors. So I guess they wanted to put him away for, you know, a decade or more. And wow. instead, he'll only be spending four years behind bars. In an article about the sentencing, The Intercept provided an update in late August that Judge O'Grady dismissed the four remaining charges against Hale. He was charged under the Espionage Act, which, quote, has been long decried by whistleblowing advocates as a draconian measure used to unfairly punish whistleblowers. Accordingly, or rather additionally, court papers never specify the recipient of the leak, but AP News states that details about the case make it clear the documents were given to Jeremy Scahill, a reporter at The Intercept, who used them as a, a part of a series on critical of critical reports on how the military conducted drone strikes on foreign targets. AP News reports that because Hale openly acknowledged to leaking the documents, the arguments at the sentencing focus more on his rationale for his behavior and what role that should play in the sentence calculation. His lawyers argued he was motivated by his own conscience and that his leaks didn't jeopardize national security, while the prosecutors painted Hale as eager to ingratiate himself with journalists. Hale, however, described himself as racked with angst over the role that his actions may have played in the taking of innocent lives. And that may be one reason why a lot of uh, U.S. military people, when they come back from places like Afghanistan, kill themselves. Um, it definitely is. Um, I won't say who, but somebody in my family who was in uh, Vietnam, he was ordered to kill kids. And oh my gosh. he's just like a, a complete wreck. He's just like a complete, like he cries about it all the time. Yeah. I can't imagine how horrifying that must be to relive, to go through the first time and then to have to relive it and live with yourself like that. It's absolutely horrifying. Uh, if you want to weigh in, you can hear the number 603-283-6160. He said during his sentencing that he wanted to dispel the idea that drone warfare keeps us safe. And who in their right mind would think that drone warfare is doing anything to, quote, keep us safe? In other countries. Right. I mean, striking, thousands of miles away. Yeah, striking poor people that have no ability to harm Americans all the way over here. Clearly, because they haven't. You know, if you look at the last 20 years of the war in Afghanistan, how many times have Afghani people come to the United States or Afghans already living in the United States? How many times have they engaged in terroristic strikes? They haven't. You know, I don't even know if they were involved in 9-11. Weren't those mostly Iraqis or Iranians? It was George Bush. <laughs> Well, certainly there's uh, there are a lot of theories behind 9-11, but I don't think the Afghanis had anything to do with it. 
if I recall correctly. Now, if you want to, uh, and, and either way, the ones that did have, some, if they did have something to do with it, they're dead. And we haven't had any issues since then. So the whole idea that bombing uh, innocent people or even bombing so-called bad guys half a world away is going to keep people safe is ridiculous. And I think Ron Paul wrote a book about that, if I recall correctly. Blowback? Was that Ron Paul? No, I think Ron Paul cited the book Blowback on stage during his presidential campaign and recommended that people who believe this fallacious idea that bombing people around the planet is going to keep us safe should read that because well and they hate us for our freedom do they no i don't think so <laughs> the politicians hate us for our freedom the politicians definitely don't like freedom and we're seeing a huge amount of uh, of that rolled back now unfortunately uh but according to ap news hale took rep- uh, repeatedly took responsibility for his actions but ex- res- expressed more regret over wartime actions than the taking of papers he also expressed that he was pained by the possibility that actions in the drone program could have emboldened terrorists in the United States, referring to the case of Omar Mateen, the gunman who massacred nightclub patrons back in Orlando, Florida in 2016, and had explicitly demanded during the shooting that the airstrikes needed to stop. And so that's what, you know, when I talked about blowback, that's what blowback is, where you kill people in other parts of the world on the flimsiest of, uh, of pretenses, and then, well, now you've created a terrorist. Now you've, where somebody wasn't a terrorist before, you've now radicalized that person, and you've given them a reason to bomb or shoot or murder other people elsewhere in the United States, and uh, Orlando is an example of that. So there apparently is a more recent update to this story with, uh, again, Hale, he's in prison at this point, but a representative, Ilhan Omar from Minnesota, did voice her support in a letter to President Biden urging him to in, use his pardoning ability on Daniel Everett Hale because he, uh, you know, he did the right thing. So whether or not Biden is going to do anything about this, uh, you know, I wouldn't hold my breath. He hasn't pardoned anyone that I've heard of, right? I don't know. Um, you know, they don't always write news stories about the people that, that presidents pardon. A lot of times pardons come toward the end of presidential careers. But if you know and you want to weigh in here, you can. Our number is 603-283-6160. We'll get to some of the good news. Bonnie, you're going to tell us about how it's Magic Mushroom Day. And then apparently Detroit is going to have mushrooms on the ballot coming up in November. We'll explain why coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Brute force, intransigent defiance, adamantine will. These are the hallmarks of the AI tank. These gigantic machines have the firepower of an army, but they also have their own sense of honor and duty. When the world breakers arrive, battle will be joined, planets will shake, and war and peace will never be the same again. World breakers, stories from David Weber, Larry Correa, and more. Available August 3rd from BaneBooks.com. It's Free Talk Live. You can join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Of course, you can bring up absolutely anything that is on your mind. Freedoms Phoenix is a liberty-oriented news aggregation site. 
If you want the newest and freshest stories and perspectives on current events from those who value liberty, freedomsphoenix.com has it. Their daily dispatch is the best way to stay up to date on science, technology, historical findings, liberty news, government overspending, and the rise of the police state. It's freedoms with an S, phoenix.com. That's freedomsphoenix.com. Whether you want to comment on blowback and whistleblowers, again, Daniel Hale sentenced to 45 months in prison earlier uh, this summer for revealing the truth, or at least his experience, with bombing innocent people uh, with drone strikes in Afghanistan. And the U.S. government gang paid him for his efforts by putting him in prison for the next several years of his life. It's Ian and Bonnie here in the studio. You can comment on that, which certainly is not an, uh, an uplifting story, but it is a story that is, you know, it's it speaks to the times that we're in. It speaks to the fact that this government is willing to cover up. And when I say this government, I don't, I'm not talking about like Joe Biden's United States government. I'm talking about this has been happening to him over multiple administrations. It started during Obama and it continued during Trump and it has continued uh, during Biden. So it's not like you can just say, oh, well, it's this one president. No, this is the state. This is what states do. They're very secretive and they're very violent and they are out for your blood. And if they don't hurt you now, it's just because you're lucky. Maybe and if they are hurting you, they are using your tax dollars to hurt other people. Yeah, and then if they are hurting you, they're using your tax dollars to hurt you. Yep. And it's it's sick. And I you know I hope that we see somebody, some state somewhere, whether it's New Hampshire or Texas or California, successfully leave this abusive relationship to divorce DC, as we've been discussing. Yes. But Bonnie, you've got a more uplifting story for us here tonight. What's going on? Um, so I just wanted to mention, I don't have a story about this, but I wanted to mention that today is support um, support and acknowledge, I think, Magic Mushroom Day, according to Paul Stamets, who is the like king of mushrooms. He oh, really? is a is a mushroom scientist, a, a mycologist. And if you're interested, you should watch his TED Talks, Paul Stamitz's TED Talks about mushrooms. He Is just that talks about S T A M M I T Z. No, S T A M E T S. Okay. Um, he has like a mushroom hat that he wears all the time. Hmm. He's totally weird and interesting, and he talks about all kinds of different uses for mushrooms. How he cured his mom's like stage four breast cancer with mushrooms. Really. And um, anyways, he posted today that it's ma- like support. Magic Mushroom Research Day, I think, or okay. Awareness Day. Anyways, so that's I cool. support Magic Mushroom Awareness. Me too. And not just for the fact of, oh, you know, it can be fun to trip on magic mushrooms, but because it can actually do some amazing things for people that we're just starting to discover probably some things that, you know, humans from past generations, many, many, you know, generations Like the 60s? Ago, no, I I'm mean like kidding. way back. Uh, probably realized about mushrooms. Yeah, you know, shamanic healers and things like that using these things to to treat various different issues. A lot of mental issues like PTSD. We were just talking about people in the military killing themselves mm-hmm. because of the horrifying things that they've been through. Now, obviously, the best solution is to not put people through those situations in the first place. But if you've had a you know awful situation in your life that has been traumatic, there have been studies done recently that show that. Psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybic mushrooms can be not only helpful, but can actually cure things like PTSD. And maybe uh, you've got 
you know more information about what's going on today so it's just this one day but then the, you had another related story right? yes um detroit is going to vote on decriminali- decriminalizing psychedelics on november 6th now that's i believe it's psychedelics that are plant-based correct um we can get into it yeah, let's i do read that. it before but i forgot it says a grassroots movement in Detroit, Michigan, is leading a ballot initiative to make entheogenic plants and fungi the lowest law enforcement priority in the city. Hmm. Spearheaded by Decriminalized Nature Detroit, the ballot initiative was approved by the State Elections Board last month after the advocacy group su- successfully obtained 3,600 signatures from residents. Justin Petty, also known as Mudu Baki, the spokesperson for DN Detroit confirmed with Truffle Report that the voters will be deciding the future of personal psychedelic possession for the city on November 6, 2021. That's pretty exciting, given that we've already seen city people in cities like, uh, Den- I think it was Denver, was first to do this, where they decriminalized, I don't know if it was Portland? just Magic Mushrooms, no, oh, Denver, wait, Denver, Colorado. Right. Um, I don't know what Portland's status is. I know Oregon, I think, has decriminalized all uh, all drugs, from what I understand, small amounts, personal amounts of, of all drugs. And that was in the 2020 election. So we're coming up on the first year after decrim. So it's going to be interesting. And to look already back on everyone that. in Oregon died. No, everybody should be fine. In fact, I'm going to guess I'll go out on this limb uh, and guess that there are now fewer drug addicts in Oregon than there were before, even though it's only a year in. Uh, I, I think that you're going to find more people have been able to go and get help before than they they had ever done before because they were afraid of being arrested for whatever their issues were but we'll find out more as as time goes on but yeah you certainly have not heard anything about oregon becoming some sort of crazed drug den as a result and it would be consistent with um what happened in portugal exactly your your um my prediction prediction yeah i'm also excited about this decriminalized nature uh group in general mm -hmm. in general i didn't realize that um, they had something to do with the writing of this article, but Truffle Report is the actual the people news who source. the news source. Um, but I was looking at the comments on the Paul Stamets uh, post mm-hmm. that I saw that it's na- uh, National Magic Mushrooms Day, and a lot of people on there were saying, "Don't donate to Maps M A P S," um, and I can't remember what that even stands for. Multidisciplinary right yes. Association for Psychedelic Studies, I think. Yes, it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, people are saying, don't donate to that. Donate to um, this one, DN, decriminalize nature, because apparently MAPS wants to make it you know, easier for the state to tax oh, and profit boo. off of. And they're also against decrim. Really? And then when I clicked on the decriminalize nature's Instagram, they have like a crypto donation link. Oh, nice. So I already like them more. Good. Yeah, I'm glad, yeah, I do want to keep going on this. Um, I'm sorry to hear that about maps, although I guess I shouldn't be surprised. They're they're kind of trying to pander to the political class. They're, oh, well, we're respectable scientists, and we only think that these drugs should be used under specific like therapeutic circumstances, and we shouldn't just let people make their own choices for themselves. So that's kind of always been their political stance. They're, they're a lot like... Uh, in in that way, they're a lot like the uh, what is it the MPP Marijuana Policy Project. They almost never actually advocate for true freedom when it comes to marijuana. They've always advocated for regulations and mm. controls and taxes because they are trying to you know 
quote-unquote play the game where they're pandering to what they think politicians want and they're not wrong to say that politicians want tax revenue and so that's what they they always propose tax proposals and they're they're never behind any anything like this which would be you know true decrim i thought this country was supposed to be about what the people want well it was supposed to be about freedom but we can tell that that hasn't worked out yep well going back to detroit says the ballot draft registered with the state agency reads shall the voters of the city of Detroit adopt an ordinance to the 2019 Detroit City Code that would decriminalize to the fullest extent permitted under Michigan law the personal possession and therapeutic use of entheogenic plants by persons 21 years of age and older, make the personal possession and therapeutic use of entheogenic plants by persons 21 and, uh, years of age and older, the city's lowest law enforcement priority, and establish an entheogenic policy review panel to assess and report on the effects of the ordinance, question mark. I hope that uh, we get the results from this coming up in November. We'll also talk more about this and what it means. And, of course, you're welcome to weigh in here as well. The number, if you want to join us, 603-283-6160. What are your thoughts on decriminalizing magic mushrooms and other psychedelic plants? Free Talk Live. You can join us here if you want. The number is 603-283-6160. 603-283-6160. We're going to continue with your calls or get into your calls in just a moment, and then we can talk more about psychedelics. And the uh, there's now apparently a festival happening in Ann Arbor, which is, I guess, kind of like a suburb of Detroit. It's like its own know. city, but it's really close. Never been to Michigan, so I don't have any idea about it's, their... Geography. It's where our our uh, friend and co-host uh, Nobody is actually originally from. Yep, so. Ann Arbor. Yeah, and they're having an event called Enthea Fest coming up apparently uh, this weekend. Nobody would like that. Yeah, he would. I wish he, we could we could actually have him here to talk about it, but yeah. the bail conditions are preventing that, sadly. Uh, but we can talk more about that on the way here. Your calls and thoughts are welcome. Again, 603-283-6160. And I want to say thank you to uh, Nathan Dank, who is a Free Talk Live Platinum Amplifier. Nathan contributing at least 25 bucks a month to the program to help us advertise, market, and promote Free Talk Live and get Free Talk Live on more radio stations around the country. You get some cool perks and some benefits for doing that. And uh, Nathan, thank you for the support over there at amp.freetalklive.com. You can use PayPal, you can use debit card, credit card. Uh, whatever works there best for you over at ampamp.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones and to your calls and thoughts. Scott is on the line listening or watching us on Twitch. Uh, Scott, you're on Free Talk Live in Wisconsin. Hi, how's it going? Hey, what's on your mind? I have, man, I I have a lot of love and gratitude for what you guys do. I amp as well. Thanks, very, dude. Thanks. Very good service that you guys provide. I love it. I appreciate um, it. I wanted to key. I wanted to key in on. Uh, the whistleblower you're talking about? What was the name again? Uh, Daniel Hale. Sentenced to 45 so, months in prison. Yeah. So I, I do remember back maybe 10 or so years ago, there was some blurb in the news where uh, it was kind of a bunch of those uh, drone operators that were, I guess they were kind of coming out and talking about it. Mm-hmm. That it well. wasn't, they weren't doing lawful stuff, I thought, but... I, I, I'm driving, so I can't look any of that up, but, um, I wanted to say, well, I, 
I got in the military before September 11th, and it was probably about sometime in 2005, 2006, and we had orders passed down telling us, like, uh, you know, coming through the chain of command, it was no change in regulations or anything, and they were saying if you have uh, an order and you believe it to be unlawful or something, uh, well, just carry it out, and after the fact, bring it up through your chain of command and do things like that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. This is the moment to shine right here. You, you, I mean, you're going to be held, um, you're going to be held accountable for it you, if it's unlawful. So you always have a, a right to object to it. Hmm. So You're saying, hold on, you're saying you as a military person, would be held accountable for doing something that was unlawful, like drone striking. If you were ordered to. Well, it's um, it's it's a little complicated. So if it's like under a wartime situation, I'd be oh, disobeying an order that's you know in that situation it's kind of a weird gray area maybe. But mm-hmm. under most circumstances, I would say that you you have doesn't matter what the ranking officer is you can stand up and you do not have to uh, carry out an order because it's uh, unlawful. Well, is it unlawful? Because, I mean, it's not like there's any kind of punishment for the military brass that might be ordering these things. I mean, we just saw the uh, whatever general, I don't remember his name, but... Miley? Millie? I don't know. I don't pay attention to who these people are. They all change out like the deck chairs on the Titanic, but... Uh, this general apologizing for killing innocents in the August 29th remaining attack on what they thought was, you know, some sort of terrorist group, and it ended up being a group of innocent people with a truck full of water. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's going to prison for that. Right, and, and that's the other thing I was going to say is kind of like there probably is no repercussions for certain actions, and a lot of things are swept on the rug or mm-hmm. early early um um the i guess 2003 and stuff operations in iraq there's a there was a lot of uh common knowledge of uh, um officers and people that were doing things the wrong way and um kind of causing violence and stuff and those were the ones that were promoted more and stuff like that <laughs> of course. And there were you know it, it was uh fitting uh, an, a, a different objective that was going on kind of yeah. you know so you so finally they, got out of there? Yep, and that's uh, one another thing I wanted to bring up was uh, um, uh, using or if you totally disagree with something, uh, like be a conscientious objector. I'm against war. I'm definitely against like first or em, uh, em, preeminent strike mm-hmm. and all that. Under Bush, we kind of like, oh yeah, that's what we're gonna do now. And it's like, oh. Uh, I, I saw a lot of things kind of shift in the way I was in when they were kind of starting up a new organization for drone operators, mm. and they threw that across us if we were interested in switching over to that or something somewhere in the middle of, you know, kind of by... Colorado they gave you a choice? Or, they said, hey, do you want to go and, and move over to the drone division? Um, I think they were just kind of pushing all um, branches of the military and... Uh, um, different um, groups or operators and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I was 
you know, we're talking about whistleblowers. I'm, you know, I, I have a heart for, you know, like Edward Snowden and stuff. Like, I was almost scheduled to be at NSA, and it was kind of just after that when he kind of stepped forward on some of that stuff. So Did that, cool. you said I'm you were scheduled were to people. almost go, well, you're going to think, you were thinking of working <clears throat> for them, and then Snowden, like, I, affected I you? I was almost, yeah, I was working on taking up, um... Uh, a duty station there and stuff and it was always a possibility on the table for quite a few years so but um i don't know kind of glad i didn't i don't know whatever because i i see things kind of the right way what are you doing now now that you're not in the military um i enjoy life i i i definitely think that there's uh, you know people that are in that i think like well like you were talking about mushrooms like good thing for ptsd let's tie that in and that's mm-hmm. really you know every now and then that's a good way it's a good thing to really therapeutically straighten somebody out and you know i i personally just saw somebody kind of really have an epiphany with it mm-hmm. and i was like yeah that's awesome but uh just to get in touch with your local community nature find things do something you love and stuff like that but i like it I, I do construction i do music i interested i research a lot and it sounds like you're way more productive now thanks scott for the call tonight i definitely appreciate (laughs) hearing from you uh the number here is 603-283-6160 and yeah if you're in the military you don't have to feel like you're locked in there you know there's there's so much outside of the military that you can do to actually bring value into people's lives and and you know make some money while you're at it because you've made people happy and you've you've given them something they were looking for whether it be a product or service um you don't have to feel like you need to spend your whole life with the military killing people or whether you're killing people or packing packing boxes that then are unboxed and then used to kill, you know the things inside them used to kill people you're supporting the killer you're either in, if you're in the military you're either killing people or supporting the killers right that's pretty much the only two different types of jobs uh let's go to zephin he's in new hampshire zephin you're on free talk live Hey guys. Um, so what I, what I wanted to talk about was, um, I'm sure that you've heard of the firearms policy coalition. It's a gun rights group. Um, that's a lot more deserving of your money than the NRA. Um, that's for sure. Um, and I emailed them about a couple months ago because I was emailing a lot of nonprofits to see if they would take crypto. And they were one of the ones that actually responded and said, oh, we'll look into this. Um, And then just out of the blue, uh, um, about a week ago or so, uh, they emailed me back, said that it was live. They wanted me to test it. And um, they used a platform called Ingiven. Uh, So now, uh, lo and behold, Firearms Policy Coalition now now takes crypto. So... um, so it's a really exciting development. Um, if anybody has crypto and they want to donate, um, I think that the link is just firearmsfoundation.org slash crypto. Um, but I just wanted to tell uh, your listeners that so that um, they they know that uh, it's really easy um, to just send an email and it can really have like a huge impact on these nonprofits um, and, and businesses too um, in terms of accepting crypto. So Excellent just wanted to work. get that in. Yeah, you never know what one person, you know, one request, one inquiry is going to make as far as the difference is concerned. But I got to say, I'm curious, is there a difference between Firearms Policy Coalition and Firearms Policy Foundation? Are they related? Uh, Yeah, so one is essentially the uh, group that focuses on the litigation, while the other one is like a 
uh, a separate entity um, that they set up for tax purposes. But Seven, thanks for the clue, man. If you had more to say, you're welcome to hang on. We can bring you back and talk more about guns and crypto coming up. Free Talk Live. This message is for you if you are a polyamorous person or you're in an open relationship and you are struggling with jealousy, loneliness, and communication problems. Hello, my name is Jeremy West, and I am a polyamory coach with degrees in psychology and communications and five years of experience with polyamory. And for a limited time, I'm teaching a free online class just for polyamorous people or people in open relationships where you will discover a new, simpler, and unique way to uncover the secret that experienced poly people know about jealousy that you must know too, stop feeling lonely when your partner is out with another partner, and use the four key elements that will change the way you communicate forever. No more crying yourself to sleep when you're alone for a night, a weekend, or longer, and wondering if it's better to go back to a monogamous relationship. Sound good? Well then, go to jeremywest.net slash free class and register for my class now. Again, that's jeremywest.net slash free class, jeremywest.net slash free class. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. Kicking off the second hour of the program. You can join us here if you want. The number is 603-283-6160. At 603-283-6160. It's apparently Magic Mushroom Appreciation Day, and one of the things that I think should be appreciated about Magic Mushrooms is that they are able to help people with some serious mental issues, things like PTSD, for instance. I remember there was a study we talked about years ago that showed that uh, Magic Mushrooms, in a relatively small clinical trial, uh, that uh, they cured PTSD. Wow. That it wasn't just some sort of temporary treatment. It was something that was a permanent cure. And this is in people that, if I recall correctly, they had tried all kinds of like kind of the standard medicine treatment approaches to PTSD and those weren't working for them. So, yeah, I've heard. Well, my doctor was just telling me that in a lot of cases to get into a medical trial for psychedelics, you have to have tried everything else. Everything else. Yeah. My doctor is a huge advocate for psychedelics for mental health. Yeah, it's starting. That information is starting to come out. I mean, uh, when you brought up the fact that it is apparently Magic Mushroom Appreciation Day, uh, Bonnie, I, I I pulled up some stories in the news, and just within the last week, there's uh, something from The Guardian. Ecstasy, LSD, and magic mushrooms are these drugs the future of therapy. So we can we can talk further about that. But what you brought up in the last hour was that Detroit voters come November are going to have the chance to vote on a decriminalization provision that would make the enforcement of the laws that prohibit, because like in most states, it's criminal to have any amount of any kind of psychedelic, what's considered psychedelic substance. In all 49 states except Oregon. Except Oregon, where they actually put in decriminalization last year. So uh, that's, that's also another interesting story. Uh, but it's still a criminal act. And so what they're saying is, okay, well, in, at least within the city limits of Detroit, if you get caught with... I think magic mushrooms were... I don't even know if you went through the list of what this would include. No, it just said, was, like, natural plant 
and fungi. Entheogens and fungi. Yeah, so that would include uh, mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms. That would include like cacti, like psilocybin. Or sorry, not psilocybin. That was the word I'm looking for. Um, I know what you're talking about. I just can't remember right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it skipped my mind. The oh, um, it's right there on yeah, the tip me too. of my tongue. <laughs> You've almost having it. Anyway, um, um, the buttons that you uh, that you eat. I've never actually tried this stuff before. That mescaline comes from. Yeah, peyote. I, peyote. That's I knew it. it was a pea. Peyote. Uh, so that would be included, and there's another one that's pretty big that uh, that i'm ayahuasca well yeah ayahuasca would be included in that too yeah so dmt uh in that way so very very interesting uh that uh, this is happening and apparently this the story that i have about the entheofest which is taking place apparently it happened yesterday in uh ann arbor in ann arbor ann arbor already decriminalized magic mushrooms According to the story, in October of 2020, they were the fourth city in the United States to decriminalize psychedelic. I guess they just specifically did psychedelic mushrooms there in Ann Arbor. So that is uh, pretty interesting. The prosecutor there in Waltonshaw County, Eli Savitt, previously said he does not, quote, plan to uh, prosecute the use or possession of entheogenic plants in any other part of the county as well. Wow, nice. So that's pretty cool. Oh, but didn't everybody in Ann Arbor die since that? (laughs) No. In fact, uh, magic mushrooms are actually one of the safest uh, drugs out there. If you pull up the chart, there's an interesting chart that it's probably like a decade old now, but it was Professor David Nutt, if I recall correctly. It's a funny last name. Uh, But Professor Nutt with two Ts in the UK, he was a drug czar, basically. He was like the government's main drug you know anti-drug guy or whatever and he came out against the war on drugs and he came out with this list of it kind of calculated the damage to the individual and the damage to quote society from each drug and magic mushrooms if i recall correctly were at the bottom of the list mm-hmm. so meaning there was the the least damage to the individual and the least damage to society to, for the use of uh, magic mushrooms. So it's actually a relatively safe. Now, look, I'm not saying go out there and, you know, trip hard and possibly put yourself in danger because these are very, very serious drugs. And, Respect them. Yeah, they need to be respected. Otherwise, you will have a very bad time. So, I mean, I'm not advocating crazy recreational use. I'm advocating taking your time and learning about these things doing research, going to aroid.org, E-R-O-W-I-D.org, researching any kind of chemical or plant uh, that you plan to put in your body and and get some idea of what you're in for. Get in touch with people who've had experience with it before. Have a trip sitter for your first time and things like that. So being very, very cautious and making sure you have a good, safe uh, set and setting in which to do these things. These are not things that should be taken lightly in any way, shape, or form. But they are very powerful, not just as far as the uh, the trip that you might be on, but also the effects that that can have on a person who's, as we were saying, had things like PTSD or other you know traumatic events in their life. These have uh, have shown some very very interesting results, and we can talk more about that coming up. But was there more regarding uh, what's going on there in Detroit that you wanted to share? Yes, it says the ballot would allow personal possession and cultivation of sacred oh, wow. plant medicines, including psilocybin, 
Iboga with an I. Iboga. Okay, yeah, that's also something that there are like ayahuasca-like journeys that shamans will take you on, as I understand it, like down in Mexico for Iboga. Uh, I don't know exactly how it's pronounced, and I don't know a lot about it. Me either. Don't know anything about it. It says, including psilocybin, Iboga, and ayahuasca, hmm. Backkeys says. He tells Truffle Report that this ballot initiative would also allow small businesses to conduct com- community-based ceremonies in the city. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, I know that like in Nevada, well, I don't know if it's legal or not, but at like powwows, the Native Americans there do like family uh, trips in there. Wow. Um, you know, sacred settings. Like I don't think I want a trip with my mom. I definitely don't want a trip with my parents. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's. I I don't know why I say that. It, mm. it might be fun if they ever became that open minded. Well, I just know I mean, that. Yeah, that would be an indicator that their their minds were open for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's a good point. It says Backies shares that the nonprofit is working with political consultants. The nonprofit being um, de- decriminalize nature, decriminalize mm-hmm. nature. The nonprofit is working with political consultants who, prior to collaborating with DN Detroit and DN National, were utilizing ballot language that went against the ethos and principles of DN in ensuring equitable access, including a limited participant task force and the continued criminalization of peyote cultivation. Hmm. So I guess they're changing their minds. So they updated the, the language to be more inclusive as a result. Yes. Okay, good. This sounds like a good group. Uh, Decriminalize nature. I love the way they're positioning it, too. It's like, yeah. these are plants, okay? They're not, you know, it's not like a pile of cocaine that's putting money into uh, some kind of criminal cartel's pockets. <laughs> and there's no no one getting their uh, their heads cut off and put, put on pikes over, you know, some local guy growing magic mushrooms in his basement. And it's decriminalize it, like... You took this nature and criminalized it. We want to undo, to undo that. that. Yeah. Because that's the sane approach is to stop putting peaceful people behind bars for altering their state of consciousness in a way that maybe society isn't used to. Maybe there's not a lot of public, you know, pro magic mushroom propaganda out there. I mean, there's certainly plenty of pro alcohol stuff right like there's plenty of commercials there's plenty of sponsorships there's plenty of uh pushers out there lots of bars and lots of people using it it's probably used by 90 percent of the american population so everybody's fine with alcohol we we understand that it's dangerous it's really I, dangerous and it yeah. alters your state of mind a, a lot yeah and it is actually deadly it can kill you you can overdose and it, that happens a lot for people if you don't die you can get pretty sick and I mean, who hasn't had that experience with alcohol? One of the most deadly, uh, horrible experiences you can you can have. There's more coming up here in moments. 603-283-6160. Decriminalize nature. It's Free Talk Live on Magic Mushroom Appreciation Day. You can join us here at 603 283 6160 at 603-283-6160 here in the studio with you. It's Ian. And Bonnie. Last year, we told you about Intercoin, which can help any business and organization launch their own currency or raise money using their own token. 
Now intercoin.org has launched worldwide. Is there a token you want to launch or an app that you want to build? Go to intercoin.org, enter your email, and the team will get in touch and learn about your needs. While you're there, if you want, you can get some of their investor tokens, the Intercoin investor token, for yourself. Head over to intercoin.org. Bonnie, you've been telling us about some exciting potential news I guess the news is that they're going to get this thing on the ballot. Yeah, they're going to at least get to vote in Detroit to decriminalize entheogenic plants and fungi. Right. So not just mushrooms, but uh, other things. Iboga, I believe, was one of them. Ayahuasca. And I'm sure peyote is probably going to be in there. If it's if it's a plant or if it's a fungi and it can get you high, then it's going to be decriminalized. I'm going to presume this is going to pass. I think that uh, it's time for this. This we, we saw earlier that uh, the nearby city, Ann Arbor, in 2020 passed a decriminalization provision. Uh, we saw that uh, Oregon statewide passed a statewide decrim provision for all drugs. That includes heroin for you know, personal amounts. So you can't, you know, you still can't be a dealer of, of heroin, but you can have it personally to use. And, and uh, then I think it was... I think it was Denver, Colorado that was the first to do magic mushroom decriminalization. I believe Santa Cruz, and now apparently... Wasn't it Oakland? Yeah, Oakland also, yeah. Uh, Santa Cruz and Oakland, I think, were not voted as far as the people were concerned, but it was city councils who voted for that. Oh, yeah, that's what that. this, this goes into next. Okay. It says, unlike most local decriminalized nature initiatives that were approved via city council resolutions, Detroit activists are opting for a ballot measure and letting the voters have a say, which I like because... Just because I want to know, like how what population amount what of the think? population thinks. Yeah, I'm just interested. It says Baki, which is a guy that works for Decriminalized Nature, shares that there's so much political turmoil in the city council, and the council members are afraid to engage in discussions on the issue. Hmm. Hmm. Political capital. Well, interestingly, at least, and it may be a difference between being in a place like Michigan versus uh, California, but out in California, the city councils, I believe, were unanimous. So there wasn't even a dissenting vote. And that's because I believe it was probably Decriminalized Nature or some other group like them brought in, you know, they brought in people who were like military veterans. And like it or not, if somebody's a military veteran, politicians have to kind of like give them special deference, you know, because they have to pander to how much they love the military or whatever. And so when a when a military veteran goes in there and says, yeah, uh, magic mushrooms helped me with my PTSD or, you know, whatever other issues that it helped them with. Beat my alcoholism, beat my drug, my drug addiction. Because that's another thing that mushrooms have been used for is to help treat people with drug addictions and cigarette smoking and alcohol addictions. And so if that if you get somebody up there and testify in front of a group of politicians, it's hard for them to come out and say, I think that military man should be shut. He should be suffering. You know, yeah. like, I, they, they can't do it. So they all voted for it. Nice. It says that said the ballot the ballot language continues to align with DN's mission to make personal possession of natural entheogens and fungi the lowest law enforcement priority to take this further further. Baki shares that the ballot measure also includes objectives similar to what Oakland has been attempting in the hope of expanding their psychedelic decriminalization. Mm. Similar to Oakland's community healing initiative, the ballot includes a provision for local community-based ceremonies and social sharing or a gift model. There's a provision of gift model in which 
People give away whatever they produce and allow traditional practitioners doing it, ceremonies, and being able to sustain themselves, Becky says. This language, he shared, is framed around the FIFO business model, which stands for first in, first out. He adds, here in Detroit, we are on the lookout for any type of licensing structures which will create a barrier of entry to people, Mm. whether you'd have to pay to participate or pay to be considered for this. We want to make sure that there are no artificial barriers put up that will limit people. Good for them. And I totally agree. And that's why that's why I have supported the uh, the decriminalization path instead of legalization here in New Hampshire. And I'm glad that we actually haven't seen even though a lot of people said, oh, New Hampshire, you guys are behind the ball when compared to Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, all of which have had some sort of legalization provisions put into place. And the thing is, Massachusetts, Maine, these are just like what you were just talking about, where there's restrictions. You cannot, for instance, open up a medical or not medical, but uh, a legalized facility for distribution of uh, cannabis if you're a felon. You know, if you've already been busted at some point for selling cannabis, you're excluded, even though you're the perfect person. If you've been if you've been a cannabis dealer in the black market. You should be somebody who is now uh, able to go legal. But no, if you've got a felony on your record, you're excluded from potentially being able to open up a, a facility. So that, that's just one example. And of course, it costs a lot of money to jump through whatever licensing hoops and have all the official government-approved equipment from whatever government-approved vendors and dealers. And there's just it's a whole control grid, a whole control structure that needs to not be there at all. If you want to actually have freedom then decriminalization is the right way to go, to end criminalization of the possession of these things and to end the criminalization of the distribution, which is what they're talking about with the, uh, the giveaway model. And it's kind of like a, it's a way around, oh, we're not selling it, we're, we're giving it away, but there's some other way to reward them. Now, usually the laws have... Like you can donate, oh, yeah. you gave me this and I'm just going to donate to you for your service or something usually there's there's like carve outs in the law or that there's provisions in the law that make that kind of stuff illegal uh, to say like wink wink nudge nudge you know this is a free bag of weed or you know free magic mushroom but oh here's a you know an ice cube that you can pay thirty dollars for or something (laughs) like that right like there's they they the the lawmakers have figured that out that people are going to do things like that and they prohibited those sorts of behaviors so it sounds like the language of what they're doing here is going to somehow allow for some of that to allow for people to donate uh to the people who are giving away magic mushrooms because it takes time it takes effort it takes some expertise magic mushrooms aren't you know i mean i've never had any experience growing them but I would imagine growing a spore, you know, is a very, very precise thing. You've got to have a very precise growing environment that's got yeah, to be right. Growing like mushrooms for food is supposed to be pretty hard. Yeah. And so you want to do it in a, for a psychedelic purposes. You really got to know your stuff. There's going to be some trial. There's going to be some error. And Who wants that, to do something like that for free? And that takes, yeah, it takes time. It takes effort and it has costs associated with it. And those interferences in the market are going to make things less efficient and less mushrooms get out to people. Right. And the mushrooms may not be as as good. I mean, again, having competition means you're likely going to get more choices in the marketplace. And so at least they're they're going to somehow allow these people to get compensated, even if it's not directly. It won't be that you'll just go in and give them 
50 bucks and get some some shrooms it'll be some other uh, means of doing it but we'll explore further on this and your thoughts are certainly welcome as well the number is 603-283-6160 do you think this is a bad idea to decriminalize nature it's free talk live when a lunar observatory detects a radio broadcast originating from Proxima Centauri, the nations of Earth discover their first contact with an alien race may also be their last. With the Proximans facing an extinction-level disaster, Earth must choose between sending a ship on a multi-year journey or allowing nature to take its course. Saving Proxima, a hard science fiction thriller by Travis S. Taylor and Les Johnson. From BaneBooks.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything you want here on Magic Mushroom Day. Magic Mushroom Appreciation Day. Is that the full name of it? There was a... We just named it our own thing. There was something else. It was like... Um, supporting and recognizing Magic Mushroom Day or something like that. Mm. It was a less catchy name than Magic Mushroom Appreciation Day. M-M-A-D. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we've got more coming up here. If you want to comment, you're welcome to join us. 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Ian and Bonnie here in the studio with the interesting news that the folks in Detroit, voters there, are going to have a chance to vote for or against decriminalization of not just magic mushrooms, but any psychedelic plants and or fungi coming up in November of this year. And if it goes anything like uh, Denver or Oregon, it's going to pass. And I think there's a good chance uh, that it will pass. Although I was just looking a moment ago, the New Hampshire state representatives have filed their legislation. That that's, that filing window opened up, I think, a week or so ago. And I, it may be closed by now at this point. So we may have seen all of the, the various different filings. I just went to the uh, the governor government website that shows just a quick sentence, basically, about what the bills are. So you don't get to read the bills yet. Those have to kind of be finalized and then posted. So it's going to be a couple, few more months before those are fully available to be read. But there are multiple drug decriminalization bills that have been filed here in New Hampshire for the 2022 legislative session. Nice. Uh, that doesn't mean any of them are going to pass, but it does show that if there's more than one, then maybe there's some sort of a motion towards this. And But are they already past the point where we're, uh, we're going to get to vote on them? You and I will not get to vote on these things in New Hampshire. There are no ballot measures like what they're doing in Denver. So doesn't matter if you can go out and get 100,000 signatures for a thing. That will not help it get onto uh, the ballot. There are things that can appear on ballots in New Hampshire. There are ballot questions that can appear, but the state representatives have to put them there, and they are only for constitutional amendments. So that's what the... Uh, the amendment is to declare independence from the United States. If that gets through the legislature with over 60% of the vote from the legislature, it then goes to the ballot in front of the people, and then it has to get two-thirds, over two-thirds uh, to pass. And then it's a constitutional amendment. So you're not actually you're not writing a statute. You're not making a law or changing statute with that. You're just amending the Constitution. Uh, so some states do have ballot measures, and... 
the New England states, I don't think tend uh, to have them. It's like, you know, constitutions were written before that was kind of an idea, I guess. And and ballot measures have been problematic in a lot of places like Florida, for instance, where I'm from, where if you put something on the ballot, it almost always passes, no matter how crazy or how, you know, big spending or pro-government or whatever it is. It almost seems like they pass everything uh, in Florida. I don't know. Uh, you know, and that's the way it was 20 years ago. Maybe it's different now than than it uh, than it was then. But arguably, the system where and and the system where you can you have state reps that have to put these things through, some could argue is actually a better system. At least in a place like New Hampshire, where the state reps are more representative here than they are in other states, because we have 400 state representatives here in New Hampshire, and I don't know how many you had in Texas. But I imagine it is a, a fraction because there's no other state that comes even close to New Hampshire as far as the number of representatives. And that's ridiculous because New Hampshire has a smaller population than the city in Texas I'm from. Yeah. Well, and it's it's ridiculous in a good way because it means that each of those... Re- I meant the, te- the fact that Texas is like that is ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's uh, good for New Hampshire. Right. So in New Hampshire... Each representative, because of the small population, represents roughly, and I'm putting represents in quotes because no human can actually accurately represent more than one other person, uh, but they quote-unquote represent roughly 3,000 to 3,500 people, which is way less than, oh, let's see, Texas, where there's 150 people in the Texas state representatives. And by the way, New Hampshire's state reps get paid $100 a year. Uh, and I'm I, and, and most state reps in other places get paid, you know, full salaries. New Hampshire is just truly kind of a like a volunteer, almost almost volunteer legislature. I mean, a hundred dollars a year, and I think they get a, a small gas stipend as well. But you can do the math on Texas, right? Like a lot of people are saying, "Oh, Texas freedom, yeah, go to move to Texas or Florida." They've been saying those things about Texas and Florida recently. A lot of people are on social media saying, where should I move to? And, of course, people chime in with Texas and Florida. And I don't know you know, if those people actually believe in that or if they're just like federal agents that want to convince people to make themselves less effective. Because if you move to a place like Texas or Florida, you're moving to two of the largest populated states uh, on the planet, right? Like these are these are huge populations, 29 million people. Yeah, I just saw that. So I did the math just now. If there's 150 representatives for mm-hmm. 29 million, that means one person is representing 193,333 people. As compared to... 3,000. 3,000 and change here in New Hampshire. So that's a huge difference. And of course... You were in uh, San Antonio when you lived in Texas, and and that's not too too far from Austin, right? Like, how far from from Austin is? Forty five minutes Antonio? to an hour, depending on traffic. Okay, so that's actually fairly convenient to the state capital. But if you live over on the west side of Texas, if you live over in the northwest uh, corner of Texas, you're going to be Love driving it. for you're going to be driving for hours and hours and hours before you can get to. The state capital. What did it take us? Like six hours at least just to drive out. And it doesn't of even. Texas. It do, it's not even the same like land mass at that point. The fact that San Antonio and Lubbock, Texas, are the same state blows my mind. Like it doesn't feel like the same place. Sure. It's ridiculous. Like they they have they should have nothing to do with each other. They shouldn't be ruling over each other. 
It's just ridiculous. It's way too big. Florida state uh, legislatures, and I didn't get the Texas numbers on this, but Florida's uh, get paid $29,697 a year. And they also get a per diem. So they get travel and subsistence. So they get basically room and gas uh, stipend for traveling. So they make more than twenty nine grand a year. But, you know, that's a, that's a salary. I mean, it's not... It's not a whole lot of money, but with only 120 state representatives in Florida, they've got a lot more power. And again, there's about 21 or 20 million people in the state of Florida. So another similar situation where one of these state reps, quote unquote, represents a whole boatload of people. And again, where I was from in Florida, I was living in Sarasota, which was on the West Coast, south of Tampa. It would have taken me, if I had ever been so motivated as to drive to the state capitol for some reason, which I'd never done. The only time I I think I went through Tallahassee was when I was driving out of Florida. And I don't even know if we drove through Tallahassee. I don't think I've ever even been uh, to Tallahassee. But it would have taken like four and a half hours. Well, is Tallahassee in like the panhandle? Getting up there. Yeah, it's up there in the panhandle. Oh. Uh, but yeah, it would have taken you know most of a day, basically, most of an afternoon to, to drive up there. Here in New Hampshire, if you're in the southern tier of New Hampshire, which is the most populous portion of New Hampshire, basically you're no more than an hour and change away from the state capitol, no yeah. matter where you are. Whether you're in uh, Keene, here where we are in the west corner of the state, or you're over in Portsmouth, uh, you know, on the uh, the east, southeast corner of the state, it's an hour and 15 minutes. And you're at the state capitol, and you can talk to these representatives. You can know who they are. We we know some of these, these guys and gals personally here. They actually are really in touch with the people that they that they represent. And it makes a huge difference. So, you know, maybe we're going to see some movement on as far as more decriminalization is concerned, because that is definitely something that is a bipartisan issue. And in New Hampshire, there's a fair amount of Republicans. There's a lot of liberty Republicans here in New Hampshire. They get the issue of the war on drugs. They they understand. And the Democrats and Republicans don't agree on a lot. There's a number of Democrats that also get this. So you see that a lot of these bills for uh, lessening prohibition here are bipartisan in nature. Anyway, we can continue on what's happening in Detroit and the Entheo Fest that is happening, or I guess just happened yesterday in Ann Arbor. What's that all about? Uh, you can share your thoughts. This is Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. The number, if you want to join us here, 603-283-6160. There aren't a lot of reasons to stay in a place like Detroit. A lot of people have left Detroit and for greener pastures for good reason. But there is, you know, a few bright spots there, including a ballot measure that's going to allow Detroiters to vote uh, coming up here in November on decriminalization of not cannabis because it's already legal you can, you can get legal cannabis in michigan but uh, decriminalization of magic mushrooms and iboga and ayahuasca and peyote and any other plants or fungi that might be psychedelic in nature and bonnie that's the story that uh, you've been sharing with us here tonight was there more that uh, that you wanted to share from it yes and it's from the truffle report it says psychedelics beneath the surface that's the I don't know what you call that, the um, 
the headline, the tagline, the tagline mm-hmm. for yeah. They say there's a perv- oh yeah they- I already read that part. Two Michigan senators also introduced a bill to decriminalize psychedelics at a state level earlier this month. Meanwhile, Ann Arbor is celebrating the one-year anniversary of its council's unanimous approval of a resolution making entheogens the lowest law enforcement priority in September 2020. Uh, yeah, 2020. Wait, this was, uh, I missed that. Was that Ann Arbor you were talking about? Or? Yeah, so okay. two Michigan senators introduced the bill. Oh, wait, they're, they're celebrating the one-year anniversary of its council's unanimous, unanimous approval of a resolution making entheogens the lowest law enforcement priority in September 2020. Last November, Washington, D.C. residents approved the ballot to decriminalize entheogens by a historic polling result of 76.2%. This movement was also led by decriminalized nature's D.C. advocates. That's all. Ann Arbor, uh, according to the story here at Freep.com, the Detroit Free Press on the Enthea Fest that just happened yesterday, uh, which was, again, we're on a uh, an unofficial holiday here of Magic Mushroom Day today. And so yesterday, from 11, 11 a.m. to 2.22 p.m., they held an event at uh, the University of Michigan, which had guest speakers, musical performances, and... Well, they expected a crowd of up to 500, but we haven't, I've not looked to actually see photos or see how the event went. But in what some are calling the new 420, the unofficial holiday celebrating cannabis culture, which we've, you know, celebrated a number of times here in New Hampshire, 920, which is today, comes as politicians, businesses, and enthusiasts alike are pushing for the decriminalization of psychedelics because of their medicinal benefits. And so then they talk about how the uh, Ann Arbor. Council did decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms in October of 2020, which made them the fourth city in the U.S. and the first in Michigan to do so. The prosecutor said previously there in that county that he doesn't plan to, quote, prosecute the use or possession of entheogenic plants in any other part of the county. Now, a prosecutor saying a thing isn't really what I would want to go on as far as feeling safe from prosecution because he can change his plans at any moment, right? Like if if they someone you don't like. Yeah, if they arrest somebody that the prosecutor's got a, a, a you know an issue with, then he may change his plans. But psychedelics, as they say here in the Detroit Free Press, also known as entheogens, do you know what that means, Bonnie? Like the god within? That's what, exactly what it means. Have been used for centuries in many cultures, but have been largely stigmatized in Western medicine. According to Jim Salem, Deputy Director of Decriminalized Nature, Michigan... He says, this has been used in so many cultures, and we really want to focus on the rights of cultures, of indigenous cultures, of BIPOC, which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, communities that use the substances, and we want to make it available for all people, he said. He organized EntheaFest with the UM Student Association of Psychedelic Studies and said that he has personally experienced and witnessed in the others or in others the benefits of entheogens on physical and mental health. Me too. He said I came down with an autoimmune disease that my grandfather had and he had lost his eyesight. I started to lose my eyesight and subsequently a lot of the doctors here in the United States couldn't help me with what I was with what was going on. So I went down to Peru and tried some of the plant medicines. And I haven't had any issues or any of the issues that a lot of the doctors said I was going to have happen. He says that was six years ago. 
I guess I'm curious to know, unfortunately, this story doesn't go into more of his story, but that does make me curious, like, what happened? I mean, like, Did he regain his eyesight? Yeah. <laughs> that, that We don't get that detail. Or maybe detail. it just didn't, he didn't keep regressing like his dad. Maybe it didn't get worse, you mean? Yeah. State senators, again, introduced the bill, which would propose statewide decriminalizations of entheogens, which you just mentioned. Uh, quote, the substances have medicinal value, they have religious significance, and they have a very low propensity for abuse, said one of the state senators, Jeff Irwin from Ann Arbor. Uh, he said further, and so that's why I'm proposing to decriminalize the substance, because it really makes no sense to spend any time or money arresting people and turning their lives upside down. Uh, they worked closely with Decriminalized Nature and spoke at the event. He said, uh, one of the organizers said further, quote, the bill is not about the corporatization of creating dispensaries. It's about making it available for people that need to have that protection to use it for their culture and for people who want that, the efficacy of those things, he said. Michigan isn't the only state where entheogens are gaining traction among the general population. Silicon Valley executives, including Steve Jobs, made national news for microdosing shrooms to help with their productivity and creativity. Wait, I had heard about um, Silicon Valley people taking it and like one of them getting fired for it, but I didn't really? know Steve Jobs did. Yeah, wasn't he like the head of Apple at one point? Yeah, I didn't know. He's, I think he passed away. Yeah, but I, di- I didn't know that he was doing like I, shrooms. I think that if I recall correctly, Steve Jobs was publicly, he at some point publicly admitted taking LSD as well. And I believe he said it was one of the three most important experiences he ever had in his life. Well, I don't really know anything about him. Uh, well, very successful, you know, computer mogul. And uh, there's now a legal psychedelic water on the market touted by music industry moguls. Huh. I don't know what that means. Psychedelic water. From a business angle, the founder is hoping to lobby the government, the founder of psychedelic water, to go further than the decriminalization of entheogens. He wants to legalize them. He said there's just ignorance around psychedelics because if it's something that's criminal, people think that it's bad or dangerous and they don't have the opportunity to enjoy it because it is illegal. And further, because it's illegal, there's more of a chance that you're going to, if you do try to acquire some of this stuff, there's more of a chance you're going to get something that's not what it's being marketed as. There's a chance you're going to buy something that's being sold as LSD, but it's in point of fact something completely different. Wow, this looks really cool. I googled it. The it psychedelic says, water. Yes, it said. It says the world's first. It says the world's first. A mild mood boosting psychedelic blend crafted to loosen you up and excite your senses. Our mild psychoactive blend of cava, damiana. And green tea, green tea, sorry, tingles your tongue but won't leave you hungover or jittery. Hmm. Psychedelic water makes me feel good and expands my creativity while in the studio or on tour. And it says it's legal. I could order it right here if I wanted to. It's kava. K a v a. I've heard of that before. Kava I don't know a lot about it though. Dummy Anna D a m i n. Sorry, D a m i a n a. And green tea, and it's got a really pretty uh, bottle. And I bet he would want to have uh, like a mushroom version or something like that. Although, uh, if you've ever tasted liquid psilocybin and uh, and it doesn't mix really well with with water, so you'd have to really cover it up. It says something. legal psychedelics in sparkling water. 
And and this is marketed anywhere? That's amazing. Like it's saying like, are you, or it didn't say, are you 21 and older? It just said, do you want 10% off? And <laughs> there's buy now. There is ignorance around psychedelics, he says. And again, that's because people are afraid to try them out. And they should be because the black market is a dangerous place to buy things like this. Now, if you're going on Darknet Marketplace websites, you're much more likely to get the actual, like the real McCoy, the actual psychedelic that you're ordering because those people are in open competition with one another. Those dealers on the Darknet markets are competing with each other, so they're more likely to actually sell you the real thing. Uh, But either way, having them decriminalized or legalized is going to lead to a more reliable marketplace where you can actually get the things that you're looking for. And if you're getting what you're actually buying then that leads to more safety because then you're, well, actually putting what you're expecting into your body. And you can measure it better if it's being sold on a, on a legal marketplace. Um, and microdosing is interesting. I have, I've experimented with that myself uh, as well. Just, you know, I've certainly done trip-level doses of things like mushrooms, and I've done, you know, a quarter of a dose or so. Enough to notice the effects, but not be able, you know, not go to the point where you have to go curl up in a ball and not talk to people like you can actually still continue to interact and maybe get things done it's interesting you can share your experiences with microdosing or whatever you want to talk about here on free talk live coming up we'll tell you more after a devastating war the alien visitors were driven back and their willing human collaborators were left behind to face the music when emma jean anderson's ex-lover springs her from prison nathan foster and his 14 year old nephew ben are tasked with bringing the pair to justice an easy enough job until they discover something is inside emma jean and the fate of the planet hangs in the balance the family business by mike coopery from bainbooks.com Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off the third hour of the program here. We were discussing the Detroit ballot measure that's going to be appearing in November this year to give Detroiters the opportunity to legal or not decriminalize, make the lowest police enforcement priority. Uh, that is to say, uh, regarding psychedelic plants. Well, they call it entheogenic plants and fungi. Is there yes. a difference, like a big difference? No, entheogen is the newer term. Hmm. So psychedelic kind of has all this baggage associated with it, like, oh my God, psychedelic, someone's going to trip and jump out a window. Oh. Uh, whereas entheogen is a much more newer terminology. As you mentioned earlier, it stands for the God within. So it's a much more descriptive term as far as the spiritual aspect of taking something like magic mushrooms because you can take a psychedelic or an entheogen for just to to get high with your friends but you can also take it for you know an introspective spiritual journey and personally that's what i prefer to take these things for um, when I when I have done that, unfortunately, I'm on some bail conditions right now that prohibit me from uh, doing those sorts of things. But you know, over my lifetime, I have done those things, and I, I appreciate the spiritual aspect of it. So entheogen speaks more to that, whereas psychedelics say, "Whoa, crazy!" You know, it sounds it sounds a little bit more wild and dangerous when you use that term. So uh, we're going to go to your phone calls and thoughts. It's Ian and 
Pony. In the studio with you. Angie is on the line, uh, one of our uh, co-hosts here on Free Talk Live, uh, calling in. Angie, uh, what's on your mind? Um, I wanted to ask some questions about the administration or the use of the psychedelic drops in, like, end-of-life um, aspects. So if someone is coming to the end of their life for a terminal illness or because death is approaching, they treat people with psychedelic drops. Do you guys know anything about that or how that works or why they do that? Yeah, I have heard about this, um, and and the, one of the reasons why they do it is because, well, again, like we were just discussing, the term entheogen, meaning the God within, that can be a very spiritual, taking uh, something like psychedelics, in, including uh, magic mushrooms, including LSD, DMT, some of these things are very profound spiritual experiences, and it can take somebody who sort of standard human experience is to be afraid of death. You know, like we're, we're raised to be afraid to die. And right. the experience that somebody can have on one of these drugs, and I imagine under specific therapeutic settings, it's more likely to, to occur, uh, that uh, the experience somebody can have is to become okay with it, to kind of, you know, whether or not it's meeting your maker, so to speak, it's the idea of realizing that everything's going to be okay and that maybe there is something for our, whatever the energy or the soul is within our bodies. Maybe there's something more uh, after this. I, you know, I can't speak to exactly the experience that each individual has, but it's been known that a psychedelic experience or an entheogenic experience can help somebody come to terms with the fact that they're, they are mortal and that this, this experience on Earth is going to end and be more okay with it. They've, they've definitely found that to be the case. Do you know what scientific uh, reasons that happens, like um, what happens in their brain or what happens with their body when they do that? No, I don't. Um, I mean, generally, there's like sort of the, the generic statement that doing things like an entheogen is going to allow sort of neuropathways or whatever to connect that otherwise wouldn't. You become more aware of things that you otherwise would not be aware of, whether that be patterns in nature or whether that be processes within your own mind, uh, connections that you didn't perhaps notice before. So it, it does open up different pathways and whatever that does to the brain is probably a factor in why people can come to these new conclusions. I appreciate that because I have a family member who is nearing the end and she is afraid. And so it's something that mm. I wanted to suggest, but I, I didn't have like a good reason or um, an argument, I guess, per se, to tell her, hey, maybe you should just think about trying this. I would look for some stories online. There's a ton of stuff at Arrowhead.org, of course, which is my favorite go-to website for yeah. doing research. You can find personal stories of people w within each category of drugs on Arrowhead.com. Okay. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if there were some end-of-life kind of coming-to-grips to, coming stories available there. If not, just, just look around for, say, mushrooms. Yeah, as far as making recommendation, again, as I'm, I always got to throw the disclaimer out there. Do your research. Right. Take the yeah. time to learn about this stuff, learn what you know what risks there might be. But the good news about magic mushrooms is they are relatively low risk when compared to other drugs. They are relatively short acting when you know as far as trips are concerned. 
And, and you can sleep after. Yes, and you can sleep afterwards. I do not recommend LSD for somebody that's an inexperienced uh, psychonaut or whatever, somebody that's never done anything like this before. It it ultimately was the first uh, entheogen that I ever did, and I'm not going to say it wasn't a bad. You know, I, most of the times I've done it, it's been a pretty good uh, experience. But the problem with LSD is it is so long. You really have to invest a very long time in okay. uh, in that particular drug. I've never done an ayahuasca trip before. I've heard that is particularly good with coming to grips with you know things in your life, bad things in your life, not just you know the potential for death, but other challenges that somebody might be having. I've heard the people that have done these ayahuasca journeys have raved about them. And uh, and and again, th- these are also very very powerful experiences. So if there's some sort of negativity in your life, uh, that could very well bubble and likely will bubble to the surface, and you will have to confront uh, whatever kind of demons, quote unquote, you might okay. have. And some people are not going to be ready for that kind of an experience, which is why you need to have, especially with ayahuasca, you need to have a guide, you know, a shaman or whatever to to mm-hmm. guide you through that. It's not just something that you can, you know, just take a dose of and. <laughs> And go for it. You have to right. <laughs> really be uh, be very cautious with something like that. And from what I understand, that can last for a very, very long time as well. So the nice thing about mushrooms is it's something that you can probably more easily acquire. They're you know they're pretty pretty common out there in like darknet marketplaces, for instance. Uh, there's they are. Um, some people have a, a difficult time consuming them, in which case you may want to look for liquid psilocybin, which makes it a lot easier to consume. Uh, it mm-hmm. makes it more easy to uh, to measure the doses with. And just having a sitter there, somebody who has maybe some experience, of course, is, uh, is ideal. But the nice thing about mushrooms, as Bonnie pointed out, is you can go to sleep afterwards. You're going to be tired. You're going to be hungry, whereas LSD... You know, as as good as it can be, it's like, oh my god! Anybody that's ever done LSD, you know how bad the sleep is after that. It it doesn't okay. even feel it doesn't even feel like you're sleeping, and oh. then the next day you're completely zonked. Whereas the next day after a uh, a mushroom journey and a good night's sleep, you're feeling good. You're waking up uh, feeling refreshed. You're ready to to move on to whatever is coming next. At least that's been my experience. Obviously, everyone's different. Um, so again, that's where the the whole research angle right. comes in. So. All right, I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Angie. Good luck, and Take thanks care. for the Bye. call tonight. By the way, I did a uh, did a little search here, and I found out that the Entheo what was it the little uh, Entheo Fest that they had in Ann Arbor, according to MLive.com, which is a Michigan website for news. Not only did it surpass 500 people, but they say thousands of people attended the very first ever psychedelic shroom festival yesterday. Uh, at the University of Michigan Diag for Ann Arbor's EntheoFest. Yeah, I saw a picture and it looked like a lot of people sitting out. It almost looked like kind of like a city square, but I guess it was a college campus. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of people just sitting out on blankets. No issues or arrests, according to University of Michigan police. Uh, the three-hour event celebrated the one-year anniversary of Ann Arbor's move to declare entheogenic plants and fungi the city's lowest law enforcement priority. Uh, that includes ayahuasca, ibogaine, mescaline, peyote, psilocybic mushrooms, and other natural compounds with hallucinogenic properties. They had speakers, of course, including the senators who are proposing statewide decriminalization bill, as well as some others. So uh, good on them. I'm glad to see that that particular event went off 
very, very well. Whether you want to comment on end of life, maybe you've got a personal experience you want to explain to Angie, our last caller there. She's looking into you know what to do, how to get somebody to kind of come to grips uh, with the fact that we're all going to be gone someday. More coming up here in moments. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. You can get your tickets for Liberty our Li- in, Liberty in Our Lifetime. It's happening in Mulheim, Switzerland, hosted by the Free Private Cities Foundation. Uh, early bird tickets were through today, so whether that's still available or not, I am not certain. You may be just on the cusp of being able to get those. If you're listening to us on podcast, you're probably too late, uh, but uh, you can still go and get the regular price tickets over at Liberty. Sorry, excuse me, LifetimeLiberty.com. Liberty in Our Lifetime aims to explore projects happening right now around the world that are working to achieve a lofty goal of securing freedom in our lifetime. Speakers will be from Crypto Valley, Prospera, the Seasteading Institute, and more at this October 16th event. So it's coming up fast, uh, but maybe you don't want to actually physically go to Switzerland because, well, there's all kinds of ridiculous travel restrictions and mandates and vaccine requirements and all that in place. So you can just stay home and do it online. There are digital tickets available for Liberty in Our Lifetime. Uh, again, it's happening October 16th. The tickets are available right now over at LifetimeLiberty.com. You can see what people are doing all around the world to create voluntary societies with a live-and-let-live attitude at Lifetime Liberty. Dot com. With you tonight, it's Ian. And Bonnie. We're talking about uh, entheogens and or, or a.k.a. psychedelic substances. Uh, the recent news being that Michigan has uh, Detroit specifically going to be voting on decriminaliz- decriminalization of psychedelics, plant-based ones, I should say. So LSD is not included, uh, but uh, plant-based psychedelics will possibly be decriminalized in the city of Detroit. They, of course, are already decriminalized in several other cities across the United States. Ann Arbor did uh, decriminalize mushrooms last year as well. So if you want to comment on that, that led to a larger discussion about the sort of medical uses and the spiritual uses of entheogenic substances like psychedelic mushrooms. And we're going to go to Riley, who's on the line in Utah. You're on Free Talk Live, Riley. Hey guys, you mentioned ayahuasca earlier, and I wanted to talk about my experience with ayahuasca. I took ayahuasca, I participated in two ayahuasca ceremonies last year, back to back. Wow. Before coming to New Hampshire last year. Where where is this happening? I mean, I know you live in Utah, which doesn't really like scream out uh, a place where you can go to take ayahuasca you know, with all the Mormons around. Was it in Utah or did you have oh, to travel sure. somewhere for this? I actually did it in Utah. Wow. I knew the right people and it's kind of an underground operation. So mm-hmm. um, I, my experiences with psychedelics since I'm blind are not visual. Um, a lot of auditory hallucinations can occur, mental hallucinations, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a different experience than I'm going to take psychedelics for a visual experience. For me, it's definitely a spiritual odyssey and an emotional experience as well. Mm. They've been very therapeutic. I first took mushrooms in ceremony. 
back in January of last year, and that was also a very healing experience. The reason why I like taking psychedelics in ceremony is that there is someone there to guide you. You're generally in a group of people taking the same substance, Mm -hmm. and it's just a better experience. Um, I know when I took psychedelics the first time, the shaman there gave us some ground rules we had to follow. And so those have always stuck in my mind, taking psychedelics. or What are some of the ground rules? I mean, like, go ahead and, you know, give us the top three or whatever whatever ones you want to, you know, share with us. Um, just some ground rules that they had us observe is don't touch anyone unless you have their consent. Mm. Because consent's important. Yeah. Um, another one is they told us to leave the bathroom door open. Okay. Or not open, but unlocked so they could get in and get us if something happened. Makes sense. And... The other one I remember is they didn't want us to have our cell phones with us in the space or and they told us to keep our shoes off so we didn't go running outside or whatever. So that those are some ground rules that I remember and I try and stick with as much as possible unless I'm with someone that's my trip sitter. How large were the groups that uh, that you were in? Um I don't remember how large the group I was in that took mushrooms, but I think the group I was in that took ayahuasca was about 28 people. Wow. So a fairly good sized group. And, you know, of 28 people, did anybody have like a real bad time that had to kind of, you know, be uh, be dealt with in some way? Or was it pretty uneventful as far as that it goes? Was, it was pretty uneventful as far as people having a really, really bad time. Mm-hmm. I know I had a rough experience my second night, but, you know, ultimately I got through it. Now you say your second night, does that mean you're doing one dose on one night and then another dose the next night? This is like a a weekend long thing or tell us about the kind of process. So the process was that it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday sort of experience. So Friday night we took ayahuasca, we took a dose of ayahuasca or as much as we needed for that night. Then we did the same thing Saturday night. And then Sunday, they gave us something called San Pedro or Wachuma, which contains mescaline, which is found in peyote as well. Oh, wow. And that was a hell of a weekend. That was a day ceremony. <laughs> yeah, it was a hell of a weekend for us, for sure. And it was, it was pretty intense. But it was very healing. I think the most important thing after a psychedelic experience isn't the experience itself. It's the integration process, because the integration process gives you the opportunity to sit back, reflect about your experience, journal mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. and get to grips with what happened to you. Because, you know, tripping is such an intense experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, well, I guess, can you tie in in any way with what Angie's question was earlier about end of life? Did you have any kind of uh, spiritual revelations about that during any of your trips? I don't know if I had spiritual revelations about end of life mm-hmm. um, necessarily, but I did encounter what I would consider God, mm-hmm. and it basically was a very loving experience rather than an experience of judgment. Mm. Wow. What would you say That's is... the only thing I can comment about the end of life. Go ahead, mm-hmm. Bonnie. I was going to say, what would you say was the most important thing that you learned from your experience? That's a tough question. Trust the experience. Trust the medicine. Trust the process. Wow. Love it. Uh, anything else you want to share tonight, Riley? Really interesting call. I 
I think the most important thing for people to remember is if you're going to take psychedelics for spiritual or healing pro- uh, purposes, remember they are tools. They're not a substitute for any sort of practice. I think it's important to have a practice as you come out of the experience rather than just relying on the medicine or the tool itself. Like you said, the integration, taking some time to reflect uh, the next day, for instance, is that uh, generally how you yeah. do it? Yep, next day, next few days, next week, month, year, sometimes. It just depends. Awesome. Riley, thanks for sharing uh, your thoughts here tonight. Uh, look forward to seeing you when You're you welcome. come out for your visit here to uh, to New Hampshire. Thanks for the call. All right, I look forward to it, too. Yeah, um, it, yeah. it was one of my questions for him when he first told me that he had done mushrooms. Was like, what's that like as a blind person? Because in a lot of cases, these things are very visual experiences. But for him, you know, he didn't all of a sudden see things he wouldn't have seen before. He didn't restore his vision or anything like that or give him patterns. Like a lot of people get very strong uh, closed eye visuals with these things. But like you said, a very spiritual experience and a very moving one. So fascinating stuff. You can share your experiences here with us on Free Talk Live on Magic Mushroom Day. This is Free Talk Live. Do you feel like your country no longer holds your values? Have you dreamt of a place where liberty-minded people can come together and leave government overreach behind? There are many people just like you that are discovering FreePrivateCities.com. They start at FreePrivateCities.com and connect via the social media links shown there. All skills will be needed when the first of the Free Private Cities open. It's sooner than you think. Stop arguing and build FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com. Talk Live, and you can bring up what you want here. We were just talking with Riley, who is, I should have mentioned, he's the guy that does the Free Talk Live Daily Digest. So if you subscribe to the Free Talk Live podcast, which you can go to feeds.freetalklive.com, and you can find our podcast links there, you can subscribe. And one of the things that comes out pretty much every day is Riley's, basically his 20, 30 minute long Uh, cut of our full show so he picks the things that he thinks are the most interesting from the show and he makes a a daily digest and so he's uh, pretty consistent at doing that and so thank you riley for providing that for us on a daily basis but uh, he was just telling us about his ayahuasca journey that he's done sounded like more than once Uh, it's basically a weekend long trip where you do ayahuasca once on a friday night then you do it again on saturday and then Then you do peyote apparently yeah mescaline (laughs) or something on on the uh, on the third day and he said it's been a real benefit to him spiritually and i've got a story here bonnie that is related to that i've actually been holding on to this for about a month now i'm glad to have an excuse to talk about it it's from bloomberg.com business week all-inclusive magic mushroom retreats are the new luxury, quote, trips. So, Elisa... Wait, so there was old luxury trips? Oh, quote, I see. Quote, trips. Okay, I get yeah, it. Like so, trips like vacation. So people have figured out they can turn this into a real industry. Now, that was one question I didn't think to ask Riley was, hey, what'd this cost you? Because mm-hmm. I wanted to focus on the, you know, his experience. But it does make me curious. Like, he just did some sort of underground thing. So I imagine it wasn't much more than the cost of you know the uh the drugs and then maybe some sort of fee to stay in this place right because he was there for the for the weekend uh so there's obviously a cost involved in in running any of these uh things but some of them are getting luxurious like 
to the point of pretty ridiculous sounding. And that's what the story's about. Elisa Bigham was looking for a new beginning. She'd recently left her marriage of 47 years and was trying to understand who she was outside of that union. She says, I kept having the thought, you just need to go on a retreat and get away from everything, Mm -hmm. she said. My intention was a reset of who I am, something that could bring me a big transformation. So she left Earth. Bigham, 64, had read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, which chronicles the new research into psychedelics and their medicinal properties. She came away from it interested in exploring those possibilities for herself. So she booked a retreat at Silo Wellness, which operates in Jamaica's Montego Bay Resort community. And I should note that is my understanding is mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, are legal in Jamaica. So that would be why this is happening there. Nice. She was drawn to its nightly ceremonies, during which participants take psilocybin mushrooms and, led by local Rastafarians, embark on a series of transcendental journeys that might include visions and an altered emotional state. The mushrooms can have a bitter, earthy taste, so honey was also provided for those who wanted to chase her. After the first trip, she felt profoundly fundamentally changed she said it was like i'd found my superpower she said bigham's experience is becoming more and more common as a new breed of retreat is offering not only the lush surroundings pleasant accommodations and well-prepared food of high-end vacations but also the spiritual healing and metaphysical self-discovery of guided plant-based psychedelic experiences colloquially they're called trips the most practitioners prefer the term journey at the all-inclusive Sotala Hearing Healing Center, amidst 22 acres near the Gulf of Nicoya in Costa Rica, stays run from $2,600 to $8,900, depending on the length of the journey and the room style that you choose. The main event of the itinerary, which ranges from 5 to 12 nights, isn't a boozy luau or snorkeling excursion, but an ayahuasca ceremony led by native ship. Pibo healers. Wow. Now, this is interesting because, you know, on one hand, it's like, oh, shocking. Look at how much money this is. On the other hand, people shell out this kind of money to go on vacations all over the place. So it's interesting that they're tying in now a journey, like a spiritual journey into these what would otherwise be just resort kind of vacations. Instead of just doing lame alcohol. Yeah, exactly. And... There have been, and then making decisions you're going to, you know, you might regret later. Yeah. Um, and but one of the things some people have regretted with some of these ayahuasca journeys is some people have gone into like the jungle of South America trying to find these supposed ayahuasca journeys and then getting ripped off uh-huh. and like getting robbed. Oh my goodness. So if you're going to an all inclusive resort, you're you're paying quite a bit of money for likely going to be a safe ex- experience. You're not going to. I mean, you're you're already paying a lot of money. You're not going to get robbed, uh, you know, and thrown into the the woods or something like that. In Vancouver, the Journeyman Collective focuses on imparting spiritual well-being into the corporate world. Their guided mushroom ceremonies, in which two to five grams of psychoactive fungi are blended with gourmet chocolate, are held at local lodgings and aimed at helping business leaders and executive teams align their companies with a greater purpose. Gary Logan founded the Journeyman Collective in 2018 with his husband, Robert Grover, and says the goal is to make guests feel taken care of. We want to cradle you, nurture you, and guide you through this process. We want people to relax and rest into the medicine and not worry if there's a tarantula on their face. 
Oh my god. <laughs> and I guess that's a reference to just, you know, going into the being actual in the forest. Woods. Oh, that's so scary. Douglas Gordon, chief executive officer of Silo Wellness, says his retreat is in line with the changing notions of luxury. Quote, real luxury is being able to wear flip-flops to dinner. It's not necessarily black tie, you know, it's about an authentic experience like do you want to go to that amazing jerk chicken place down the road? That's the type of person we want to attract. Someone who puts value into experiences. We have an amazing jerk chicken place down the road here. It's true. Psychedelics in the public sphere have undergone a profound shift in recent years, sometimes referred to as the shroom boom. In a short time, the thinking has evolved from viewing them as recreational drugs to understanding the experiences as therapeutic with an array of potential benefits. The year before Pollen published his 2018 book, which covers research demonstrating that substances like DMT, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca, LSD, and psilocybin may ameliorate the effects of PTSD, depression, and addiction, which is something we touched briefly on earlier in this show. We didn't get deep into the different studies, but suffice it to say there have been various studies done within the last two decades on all of these drugs regarding those those maladies, and they have been very effective. Uh, writer Ailet Waldman published A Really Good Day, chronicling the deeply positive effects for her of microdosing, which is taking for her was taking extremely, extremely small amounts of LSD daily. More recently, next, Netflix's The Goop Lab followed employees at Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle website as they flew to Jamaica and took part in a psychedelic healing session that included lots of laughing, crying, and writhing around on the floor. Podcaster Joe Rogan is also a vocal advocate of ayahuasca. Already, it appears there's serious money to be made. According to DataBridge Market Research, the psychedelic market is projected to reach $10.7 billion. And I presume they mean the legal psychedelic market here uh which is uh, expected to reach 10.7 billion by 2027 which is up from 3.8 billion just last year wow travel entrepreneurs are looking on with interest quote the wellness industry continues to grow in size and importance in consumers lives post-pandemic said the head of insights for wgsn joe mcdonald saying further staying healthy mentally and physically is a top priority a study published in november of last year uh, by research and markets valued the overall wellness tourism industry at $735.8 billion. By 2027, they said it would be $1.2 trillion. You know, I'm interested, and maybe I'll ask Riley if I get to meet him when he comes here. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to know what these guides and shamans, what do they say to you? Like, I don't really know if I would prefer that over doing it alone, because I like where my mind goes. I don't really have, like, issues, I don't think, with, like, going down a dark rabbit hole. I, I don't like to look at my... Have you ever had a bad trip? I don't like looking at my face in the mirror because I feel like I look like a worm <laughs> and, or like a dead body. It's creepy. Oh, my God. Sorry not to creep anyone out. But that's, okay. I, that's the only thing. I don't like to look in in, in the mirror on shrooms. But in, anyways, it, it just makes me wonder, what do these people say to you? Because I'm, I, I like where my mind goes. I remember watching K-pop music videos on shrooms and then just thinking, wow, women are fantastic. Women are... <laughs> goddesses and i love being a woman like for like a week after wow it's an interesting experience and i, I think for a lot of people the, the shaman experience is something that you definitely want to do like the first time you, you always want to trip the first time with somebody who has experience there's more coming up it's free talk live it's free talk live 
here with you tonight. It's Ian. And Bonnie. If you want to jump in the remaining moments and comment on psychedelics, a.k.a. entheogens, that's actually what we've been talking about for most of the night. And uh, we still have time for you. The number is 603-283-6160. It is Magic Mushroom Day. Apparently that's a thing now on September 20th. So we are not quite half a year away. Uh, from April 20th, but several months from April 20th. So this is sort of the the other, I guess, related holiday, if you I will. didn't even think about the, that at all. That oh, was, and it's kind of, sorry, it's almost the, um, it's not, oh yeah, the equinox, fall equinox. Yeah, I think that's like basically right now, right? Tomorrow? Yeah, I guess. Right and now, it's tomorrow. full moon. So good time for it. Uh, in Theofest attracted thousands of people. A first time event in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan over the weekend, which uh, was, again, all about promoting uh, psychedelics and, of course, you know, the safe use of psychedelics. And I keep using that term because I'm still used to it, but I do like the term entheogen better. It's just a more descriptive term. You were just talking, uh, Bonnie, about how you aren't so sure regarding the idea of going on a uh, journey with a shaman like what is you were wondering kind of what is the the purpose or what does that bring what is the benefit to that yeah i'd like to know about the shaman first not just like oh he's a shaman he's a healer i'd like to know exactly what he believes in and stuff Mm -hmm. i i just don't know that i would want somebody like preaching to me while i'm tripping yeah i see where you're coming from like i've not ever done anything like that certainly The first time I did trip, I tripped with somebody else who had tripped before. So that to me is, I think that's the most important component is to be there with somebody that knows you uh, and you know cares about you and wants you to have a positive experience. You probably don't know the shaman likely that you're going to see in whatever situation that you're going to. So that could probably feel weird for some people. In our chat room over at chat.freetalklive.com, Inkblot says, you don't need no shaman, F that. <laughs> and he says, DMT is for wine ants. <laughs> As in like... It's the most powerful hallucinogenic in the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he means by DMT is for wine ants. Um, but uh, <laughs> DMT is an incredible uh, experience and... If you're interested in things like entheogens, it's definitely one worth trying. Of course, DMT is the short-acting version. Usually it's a smoked or vaporized thing, whereas ayahuasca is many, many, many hours in length and apparently even more, like, spiritually important. Like, because you can't, you're not just going away. It's not just ending in, in 10 minutes. Like, you're you're down for the count with ayahuasca for hours mm. and... If there's, like I said before, there's something bad in your mind or whatever in your life, some sort of trauma, it's coming up likely and you're going to have to confront it. And that's why you should do shadow work sober. And and maybe that's one of the reasons why a, a shaman is valuable in something like an ayahuasca trip because it is so supposedly so intense. Um, and so I, I imagine people that have had those experiences could speak to that, whether it's tonight at 603-283-6160 or later um, Riley is coming out to visit, so that maybe that, that is a question we can ask him when he gets in here, is he'll likely be co-hosting with us uh, when he comes out. But we were just talking about this story from Bloomberg News. It came out last month, and it's about an interesting kind of uh, expansion in the psychedelic, quote, industry, if you will. These trip experiences have moved into luxury resorts. So they get into that here in the story, like, you know, this sort of 
evolution, if you will, of where this industry's gone and where it's come from. Solara, so they talk about some of these different places. One of them's in Jamaica. Another one's in Costa Rica. They're using magic mushrooms at one place. They're using ayahuasca at another to take people who are willing to spend thousands of dollars on a resort experience on a journey, a spiritual journey. Soltara may lack the five-star indulgences of, say, Utah's decadent Amanjiri Resort, but its rooms are comfortably spartan and airy, the meals thoughtfully prepared, and the pool azure blue. If these perks seem at odds with the spiritual quests at hand, there's a reason. Melissa Stangl, a founding partner at Soltara and its chief operating officer, says that while working at a rustic retreat in a remote corner of the Peruvian jungle... She noticed the clientele had a specific adventure-seeking demographic, a.k.a. backpackers, because it's out in the middle of nowhere. She said the sanctuary's remoteness, she realized, limited its client base. So when Soltara opened in June of 2018, it chose the more established tourist infrastructure of Costa Rica, with lodging that leans toward the elegant, an effort to appeal to a broader swath of potential customers. I bet those backpackers in Peru were going out looking for giant uh, elongated skulls. That's getting into a totally different discussion, (laughs) Bonnie. Uh, (laughs) This work can be uncomfortable, she says, of the ayahuasca ceremonies. It's not uncommon for those who drink it to vomit, for example. In fact, that's pretty standard from what I understand. Wow. Uh, Being able to provide a space that's comfortable for guests where they don't have to worry about the danger they might feel in a remote part of the jungle is important. We found that when they're at ease, they're more able to open up to the medicine. At Silo, Gordon oversees a retreat where each session is individually tailored to the person or group attending. They offer specific bookings geared toward women, fitness enthusiasts, or the LGBTQ community. On average, they cost $3,995 per person or $6,400 per couple, and are hosted at local villas or other high-end accommodations. By offering an elevated travel experience, he's found clients are able to more fully embrace the overwhelming, and by some accounts, exhausting aspects of the core experience, the guided mushroom journey. He says we're trying to achieve that balance that speaks to luxury, the food, environment, and the service. Often, intentions are set during introductory rituals, and there are integration practices afterward to help process the experience and incorporate the insights into one's everyday life. I like that idea, but I don't think you need a shaman for it. Setting an intention for before you go into Mm -hmm. a trip. That's one of the most important things, uh, is to have a good set and setting, and part of the set and setting is your intention, like your mindset going into something like this. If you are bothered by something, if there's something that's angering you or upsetting you, you know, feeling good, don't do it. You know, put it off until a different day when you're more at ease and you're ready to go into this experience. I would never, I, I can't imagine how bad a, a trip you could have if you go into it, go into something that's, you know, as intense as, as an entheogenic experience with negative mindset. So being ready for it is important and having a good place where you feel comfortable. And that's part of what they're doing here. They're trying to create a place where these folks feel comfortable, who many of them have probably never had this experience before. So you've done a, uh, an entheogenic substance before. If you've done it before, you have some idea of what to expect, and you're more able to do it more independently, I think, in that case. These are people who maybe their entire lives have never encountered anything like this. And I can understand why it's, people want their handheld. And I think that's important. 
Despite their growing prominence in the zeitgeist, psychedelics, it should be said, are still illegal in most parts of the world, limiting the market scale of this wellness niche. Currently, Jamaica and the Netherlands, where the British Psychedelic Society has been offering psilocybin-based retreats since 2016, are primary destinations because of their liberal laws around psychoactive substances. Options are popping up in locations like Canada, Mexico, and even the U.S. The Sacred House of Eden organizes retreats from its headquarters in Denver, the first American city to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms. Quote, experiences that adopt holistic approaches to healing, balancing psychedelic experiences with more traditional wellness experiences like yoga therapy, are gaining popularity as people seek to rebalance after stresses of two years of lockdown, he said. Bigham, who attended the silo retreat, recalls sitting on pillows and blankets during her mushroom journeys, a total of three during her five-day women's retreat hosted at the plush half-moon resort, all while looking out over the ocean or gazing at the stars. Wow. Her days were filled with yoga classes or seminars on nutrition before the nightly trips from about 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. Meals were taken on a patio overlooking the sea. There was barely time to take a dip in the on-site pool. She went in with a small but meaningful goal in mind. She said, I felt like I was so self-conscious that I couldn't close my bedroom door and dance by myself. She said, I want to go to Jamaica and I want to dance. We went out to this Rastafarian village and they were playing drums and I said, hey, ask them if they'll teach us how to dance. And they taught us how to dance. When she returned home, her friends and family noticed a marked shift. She said, "Uh, my daughter said, mom, you're different. So then they go into like a quick rundown of some of these different places they've been talking about the silo wellness which is three day uh, five sorry five day four night sessions in jamaica with meditation meal planning workshops and possibly intense workout routines if you want uh, in addition to psilocybin assisted ceremonies you're looking at a low end of 39.95 that's almost four thousand dollars per person but then again you're traveling to you know jamaica and you're getting a full all-inclusive thing the journeyman collective outside vancouver Guided psychedelic experiences, mushrooms, coaching sessions, focused on harmony and relationships and prosperity in business from 10 weeks to 18 months from $30,000. Oh, my God. And the Sultala Hearing, uh, Healing Center in Costa Rica, $2,600 per person for five nights. That doesn't seem too bad. Well, I just want to say I love that for that woman because I think that a lot of people who don't think that they like dancing is just because they're... They haven't tried it. Yeah. See you tomorrow night, freetalklive.com. When Monster Hunter International discovers one of Isaac Newton's wardstones being auctioned off, they decide to steal it and use it to destroy the Chaos God once and for all. But a mysterious thief upends their plan, and it soon becomes a race against time as something much older and infinitely more evil awakens in the jungles of South America. Monster Hunter Bloodlines by New York Times bestselling author Larry Correa and Bane Books. Visit MonsterHunterNation.com for more.